Well, you can talk about film. Gotta be quicker than this. You can talk about film with a philosopher's zeal or measure them all by box office appeal, but for once in your life... Be real! Welcome one and all to your movie reviewing and reappraising podcast. It is the podcast called Be Real. My name is Chance Solenpfeiffer. And I'm Noah Ballard. And we come together, what, like once a week, friend? To uh, yeah, talk about... three times a month. <laughs> yeah, to talk about movies new and old. And uh, this time it's a, it's a mini episode about a movie new. It is Lady Bird. I hate California. I want to go to the East Coast. I want to go where culture is, like How New in the York. World did I race or at least snow. Connecticut or New Hampshire, oh, where writers live in the world. Get into those schools anyway. Mom! You should just go to City College. You know, with your work ethic, just go to City College and then to jail, and then back to City College, and then maybe you'd learn to pull yourself up and not expect everybody to do everything. Lady Bird, is that your given name? Yeah. Why is it in quotes? I gave it to myself. It's given to me by me. Lady Bird always says that she lives on the wrong side of the tracks, but I always thought that that was like a metaphor. But there are actual train tracks. Lady Bird is the new movie from Greta Gerwig. It's her uh, debut as a writer-director. It's a coming-of-age tale set in Sacramento in 2002, starring uh, Saoirse Ronan. As a, as a young girl in her last year of high school, about to go to college. That's what Lady Bird's about. Yeah. It's a senior year of college, or senior year of high school movie. Absolutely. One of my favorite genres of movies. Absolutely. I'm glad you think of it as a high school movie, because I do as well. Um, yeah. And so did, um, did you read that glowing uh, New York Times A.O. Scott review? No. Tony was very impressed. Mm. I believe, uh, it was a few days ago, this movie's rocking 100% critic score on Rotten Tomatoes, so a lot of people are quite impressed. And I don't know about your respective social media network, but like the people I know on Twitter have just been going nuts for it. I yes. I think our, I think our networks are have some overlap, so yeah. Sure. But yeah, Literary Brooklyn is just I was at a one o'clock showing today. At the Brooklyn Art, uh, the Brooklyn Academy of Music, and it was sold out. Wow! One o'clock on a Sunday afternoon. Can we can we jump right in though? Yeah. Isn't part of what's so good about this movie the fact that while the literary community of Brooklyn may not may like it a lot, it it wasn't like it is not catering to them. It's not catering to like the New York, like, hyper-literate audience that I think Greta Gerwig has previously catered to, both in her on-screen and writing work. I would agree. Yeah, I think it's... To say nothing ill of your colleagues. Oh, no, you're right. But I think it's sort of... You know what I was kind of thinking? Do you remember, like, in the early 2000s where there was that, like, spate of, like, MTV movies? Mm-hmm. Where it was, like, well... It was, like, sharply written, like, high school films. And it was Napoleon Dynamite and uh, Justin Lin... Orange County. Justin Lin's directorial debut, Better Luck Tomorrow, about these gambling Asian high-performing students at a Southern California oh, high yeah. school. yeah, yeah. And this sort of, like, reminded me of like either in that ilk or like a mean girls kind of like sensibility to it. And it doesn't require, yeah, it doesn't require like you having read a lot of books this year to like get all the jokes. Sure. 
or have like you know have seen every Noah Baumbach and Woody Allen movie. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think that's part of what I found so pleasant about it is that you know it, by virtue of it being set in Sacramento, it's it's a little bit of like you know anywhere town while still being very detailed in the backdrop. Right. Well, that's the thing, too. And I mean, just the way uh, Noah Baumbach's Squid and the Whale was like a love letter to Park Slope and Brooklyn. Like, this is definitely a love letter to Sacramento. Mm -hmm. Like, this movie, this is one of the things I love about movies or books that it's just like, this movie has to be in Sacramento. Yeah. Like, it can't be anywhere else. It has to be like... California, but like also the Midwest. Exactly. Yeah. Well, there's not a ton of plot to speak of. Like we said, it's set over the last year of Christine, but she wants you to call her Ladybird. Uh, Christine's last year of high school. She's played by Saoirse Ronan. Like I said, you probably know from the movie Brooklyn uh, or that movie Hannah. Um, just a bunch of high school things happen to her. She has her first yeah. boyfriend. She auditions for a play. She wants to go somewhere cultured like New York City or at least New Hampshire, Connecticut where writers live in the woods. Um, but her mom, her her relationship with her mom played by Laurie Metcalf is very central to the movie. Her mom is sort of like a very hardworking but kind of self-burdening uh, figure in her life. And I suppose the main, real main conflict and really the only thing of plot that runs from beginning to end is just that Lady Bird wants to go to an East Coast liberal arts college, but she has neither the money uh, nor the grades. What would you add to that? That's pretty much, and I really thought that uh, Tracy Letts is her father, uh, is also a very interesting character who's sort of this like dad who kind of stays out of things. But yep. like, if you need some, if you need some sort of emissary to the adult world, like he's ha- he's happily your man. A lot of uh, renowned theater folk in this movie too. Oh yeah, uh, between those two parents we mentioned, and also uh, uh, Stephen Henderson um, plays the. Who, who's he? He's the um, the drama teacher who kind of disappears halfway through. Oh he, he was yeah, in, he was in Fences and was on in that play I think for ever. Yeah, yeah, I thought he looked familiar. Yeah. Mr. Bono. Um, but that's the interesting thing is that all the characters in this movie, what's so refreshing about it is that every character in this movie like has a like a character. Yeah. Like they're not just these sort of easy stereotypical Julius Stiles and Heath Ledger and you know whomever, Freddie Prince Jr. Mm-hmm. whatever. It's <laughs> yeah. a little bit more interesting than that. And, like, there's no real, like, good or, like, bad guy or bad girl. And the antagonist is just sort of, like, in aggregate, her world. Yeah, you know, so many of those MTV movies that you mentioned, while I like while I like a few of those, they're kind of like movies about high school movies almost. Because, you know, they're, they're once and twice removed from John Hughes. They're once and twice removed from, like, She's All That and stuff. Um, and this just it is not a, really not in conversation with them. It's really a movie about high school, and it's very naturalistic in that way. Yeah. I mean, it's I would say it's probably more in conversation with, like, Election, or as I said, like, Squid and the Whale. Right. Yeah. Election's a but good But I think, as you referenced earlier, um, it has this sort of... It doesn't need to be dark. 
like where election goes to like a dark sort of hard R by the end. Like this one never really does. And that's sort of brave. Absolutely. I mean, it's one of my favorite things about when people make touching movies about children and adolescents is that like you don't have to hurt them for them to be hurtable. Everybody's right. hurtable. Everything means so much. Was it weird for you to see a movie around the time that you were in high school? You're well, that's the thing. Yeah. It felt very much like the uh, mise-en-scene of like a script I would have written in high school in the just sort of like when the cell phones appear and the, you know, just like the sort of interesting cultural reference points yeah and i was i was going to if we did an ethos corner chance but you've decided that we're not going to do one because it's a mini pod and we're going to save people the uh whatever about us the indignities about us you were going to say like something to the effect of like why don't we tell people a little about us and i would have come back to you with the dave matthews lyrics why don't you hike up your skirt a little more chance and show your world to me um, and I really wouldn't have responded any differently than I'm responding now, which is a uh, polite bemusement. Um, but I feel like that's actually, uh, you but, know. But that's, the th- that's sort of what I'm getting at is like the Dave Matthews song cue is just like so like piercing. <laughs> yeah, heart piercing? It was heart piercing. I feel like you can't ignore the fact that, you know, while this is, I we're tipping our hand, but you can maybe tell from our remarks. I think this is a great movie with like tons of its own merits, but it's not an accident. I think that like people between the ages of like 20 and 34 are freaking out on Twitter because there are no movies about the time in which they went to high school. Right. Like this is it. And so like, just like seeing somebody watching the Iraq war on television and listening to Dave Matthews band is going to hit people in a far different way than, uh, 10 things I hate about you. Yeah. Um, so can we talk about Saoirse Ronan? That seems like a place we Absolutely. must go. Um, I think she's great. I think that one of the best things about this movie is that she's clearly playing the Greta Gerwig character, right? Right. That, you know, well, was... I imagine this is more or less Greta Gerwig's high school You experience. have to imagine that, yeah. Um, certainly based on, she's from Sacramento. Um, but, but she's a better actor than Greta Gerwig. I mean, she's, it's almost the same thing she did in Brooklyn, which these are different, obviously very different backdrops between 2002 Sacramento and 1919, uh, five points or whatever. Um, but she still has that amazing ability to like speak in the earnest voice of both like adult and child and just kind of yeah. react to a world that is nudging her and poking her in all these different ways. And I think it's just great to see her when you think about, I think Greta Gerwig's a, a fine actor. Uh, I think this movie proves she's probably a better writer director, but when you watch Greta Gerwig to me, it's almost like somebody intellectualizing a person and this is not that. And I feel like to her go-to, whereas like Ronan has a sort of like very, I don't know, a very like an ease to which like her character like sort of deals with the world. I feel with Gerwig, her choices tend to be like, if I feel uncomfortable with a moment, just like act weird. Yeah. And like, that's not the choice that like Ronan makes. She acts human, which is... 
like a little bit more maybe meaningful by the end. I mean, I don't mean to, I don't want that to sound like, like a backhanded compliment toward Greta Gerwig. I think it's quite something that she's proven all at once that, she can like direct visual comedy like just as well as she writes like that's no sure thing she does like quite a job here with this movie's kind of sense of slow easy collage and cutting to funny things and sight gags and if you notice like a lot of the scenes are like not even more than like a few lines or a few seconds right like it's very comfortable just like giving you this year in this girl's life like in the most sort of economical way possible, but also like in doing that, she's picked the most interesting moments that like add up to a narrative, but it's also very generous with like everyone on screen. I would say like no one's a real villain. Yeah. Even Lady Bird's relationship to those two boyfriends though, uh, Timothy Chalamet and Lucas Hedges from Manchester. Um, I liked him. He's great. And like another example of somebody not being the villain. Yeah. Even, even though they have. And even though that like him being, this is, should I spoil it? Uh, skip ahead 15 seconds. If you don't want to hear this, go ahead. That he turns out to be gay, like isn't so, like it's not, it's not cheesy and it's not cheap, but it's done with such like earnestness that it ends up being sort of like the, a nice emotional beat to hit. Can I ask you Yeah. the only thing that like maybe I didn't follow about the film? Uh-huh. So what's the story with the priest who's the original director of the of the play? I think I, this is a good thing to bring up because I feel like it's one of the areas where the movie kind of just like let certain things lie. And I feel like in, on the one hand, you could say, like, did you underwrite that part? But on the other, I also think it's, like, super true to the way, like, we reflect on high school, which is just, like, yeah, I remember, like, one or two things about that teacher. And remember that day he, like, like opened up in that very uncomfortable way and then we, like, never saw him again? I think that's well, that the kind of shit that happens. Yeah, that is such a – that is one of, I think, the most bizarre but, like – incredible scenes in the movie is when they're all like sitting around at play oh. rehearsal and he just suggests now we're going to play the game where you win if you start crying first. Yeah. To get all these like young drama students to access their emotions. But really what he's saying is like, I need an excuse to cry openly because I'm so like sad about my life. And then you see him crying first and you expect him to like pull out of it. And he just starts apologizing oh. to everyone. Oh, my God. And then he disappears. And then you, what I'm saying is, so he disappears from the, if you haven't seen the movie yet, uh, the narrative. And then he comes back in the scene with the with the mother who mm-hmm. works at a psychiatric inpatient facility. And she's asking him about his, like, emotional support system. And he goes, well, I don't really have one. And then the camera sort of, like, cuts away. Yeah. And it's just a sort of, I guess, just like, I guess father just lost it. In this mo- in this year that seems so crucially important to Lady Bird and to like most high school students, you, it's a little shocking in retrospect how easily people leave your life and they're just gone. Yeah. In lieu of an ethos corner, 
what what uh did were there any particular like parts of this this high school or like this experience that like reminded you of stuff in your life the conversations about like cell phones was kind of funny to me mm-hmm. where he goes like we're all going to have them and the <laughs> government's going to be tracking. And he was like pretty prescient in that moment. And then she sort of falls for that prescience. But like he was fucking right, man. Yeah. We're all going to carry around these locating devices. And yeah. And what's but worse? Seeing a world that like where a cell phone was like a tool and not sort of a necessity. Right. I really could have gone for seeing a little bit more of the uh, 2002 Western Conference Finals Sacramento Kings. There was a couple of like Go Kings signs. I would have, what I'm saying is, I would have liked a Peja Soyakovic cameo. Right. But alas. Um, yeah, I don't really know what I. No parts of Lady Bird's experience were exactly resonant to my high school experience. No theater, not a lot of parties, no like, no class anxiety. But I think the thing I liked most was just. That was like the closest I'll ever get to seeing Omaha. Probably more so than Election, actually. Like suburban Omaha rendered in film. Because I feel like anybody who like actually makes the Midwest version of that movie, it will stoop to a level of folksiness. But like Sacramento just felt like Omaha. It was something. It reminded me, I mean, it could be Lawrenceville too. And there's like the big houses on the one side of town and then like the middle class on the other. Sure. You know, and there's like the little places that everybody goes to and stuff like that. And it's like, on the East Coast, but it's like not New York or Philly. Yeah. What else, my friend? I feel like we've gone on a while. Should we get you a rating? Yeah, let's tell them how we do things here in the pod. All movies and most of life can be described with our rating system. The four categories are good, good, bad, bad, good, bad, and bad, good. The first good or bad refers to intellectual quality. The second is pure pleasure. Good good is easy, things that make you feel smart and happy, and that for both reasons you'd want to do again, like watching The Departed or Jaws or calling your pal to do a podcast with him. Good good movies make Noah say, Love that. Bad bad is easy too, things that bring you neither stimulation nor joy. Basically, you just wasted your time. Things like watching White Chicks or Wild Wild West, a conceptual double album of Christian pop punk. Bad bad movies make Chance say things like, I hated that. Good Bad, then, is something you recognize as worthwhile, but not something you enjoy. Schindler's List, Requiem for a Dream, most classical music, eating your goddamn vegetables. Good Bad is about being an adult, and these kinds of movies make Noah say... I mean, I'm glad I saw it once, but never again. Conversely, Bad Good is for your thoughtless inner child. It's Cheetos, it's late career Billy Joel, it's movies like Christmas Vacation... Honey? Kids? And Deep Blue Sea... Bad good movies make chance say, but it failed in such an entertaining way. Got all that? Now buckle up, because you're about to hear an opinion stated as fact. I feel like my opinion stated as fact is that this is a good good, like an easy good good. It's a well-crafted, well-written, well-performed, well-produced film, and I enjoyed it. It never felt too long, nor did it feel too short, so... Yeah, I was very impressed. I think this is one of the better ones I've seen this year. And like a good high school movie, too. I mean, more more so than just like, you know, person becomes adult. It's just like a great high school movie without the kind of artifice of the like, and the nerds are here and the jocks eat here. Um, yeah. yeah, I'm in total agreement. And I think it's honest. It'll be interesting when I 
very soon people were thinking about like the best movies they saw in 2017 because I think it's a movie that is so great because it's just really good. There are, there are very few moments in which the movie kind of like reaches for anything mighty or profound or like technically hyper ambitious. It's just like a touching, earnest, like patient movie. It's yeah. I, I just found it to be beautiful and affecting and, but also you could boil it down too to like, when was the last time you saw a movie with uh, 20 LOLs and four potential cries? That's not that many movies in theaters. Yeah, my audience loved this movie. Same. There was a lot of, yeah. And what I think, I mean, just boiling it down a little further about contemporary filmmaking, in the amount of time that it took uh, Dean Devlin to figure out, well, how can we have a geostorm? <laughs> like, Greta Gerwig took that time to, like, come up with a dozen interesting unique characters and you don't have to like have it rain like molten rock or whatever right and see the major landmarks of every major city destroyed you can just set it in sacramento and make a highly entertaining movie for five or ten million dollars well that's really fun first of all it's funny that you know who made geostorm second of all even a movie i liked like 20th century women from last year which greta gerwig is in uh and which is also set in northern california in a 79 but it's also it's a period piece in the same way that this is a 2002 period piece even even an indie movie like that that sort of aspires to you know, putting a beautiful frame around mom with its like music cues and its filmmaking. It's just like, you know, kind of effortful. And what's amazing about this movie is how much it gets done, how beautiful it is without being very effortful. Yeah. Yeah. But also much better than Geostorm. I'm glad you brought it up. I I didn't see Geostorm. Oh, you haven't? No, I just know that it's from the other guy who produced uh, Independence Day, Dean Devlin. (laughs) I've not seen Geostorm either. It had a, a quite a bizarre production, uh, if my reading is, proves anything. That like they shot two thirds of it like four years ago, and then did pickups like <laughs> six months before its release <laughs> to fill in the other third. So like characters <laughs> look distinctly different. Wow. And they like tried to fix it with like prosthetics and makeup, but it's still very jarring. That sounds uh, like no way to make a movie. Yeah, nor uh, Snowman. Oh God, no! Yeah, you shouldn't uh, make it. You should. That's like filming. If you're gonna film a movie, <laughs> fill film all third, like all three thirds of it. So this concludes our mini episode about Geostorm and the Snowman. Uh, Greta Gerwig is fine in both, I think. Um, anyway, buddy, it's been good to talk to you. Good to see your face. What a what a pleasant movie. What a pleasant time chatting about it. Absolutely. Let's go back to 2002. Yes. Um, well, actually, it, no, it's better than now. Shit. Um, okay. Everything's better than now. <laughs> uh, yeah, folks, find all our past episodes at uh, berealpodcast.com. Twitter and Facebook, we're there. Uh, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Overcast, wherever you get your shows. We will return to you soon with something bigger and ambitious, kind of the geostorm of this podcast. You, Absolutely. You, you know what happens uh, Thanksgiving weekend, buddy. 
uh, we watch six movies and do a Megapod. That's right. And everybody loves it. Except for our families and significant others. Yep. Um, but we're going to do it. So, my friend, I look forward to that. And uh, until next time, everyone. Yeah, here's Dave Matthews taking us out. How did you know?